I'm going to be brief this morning, I promise you. And so they'll be all right for a few minutes here in the service with us, all right? And listen, they don't bother me. So if they act up or they act like kids, good. That's what we want, okay? Uh, We take them out just to kind of help you a little bit, but we like kids. And if a church doesn't have kids, that church is in trouble. So we want to be glad that we have kids. So if they start acting up, playing with monster trucks, I don't know whose kid does that, but if they do, that's all right. We're good with it, okay? All right. Uh, If you got a Bible, open up to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And if you would, and if you are able, would you please stand this morning as we honor the reading of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 9. The author of Hebrews tells us this. It says, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying... I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Pray. Father, thank you for this day. Uh, thank you for each and every person that's here. Father, thank you for this text of Scripture. And Father, this text shows us um, not that that Jesus came, but why he came, that he came to die for us. And so I pray today that that as we just briefly look at this text, that we would remember uh, that Jesus uh, came to to, to be our, our Savior. He came to die for us in our place for our sins. And that that is not a message that that we just preach once a year or twice a year. It's not a message that's just for um, new believers. But that's a message for each and every one of us 365 days a year. And it's a message that we need to hear constantly. And so today I pray that we would make much of Jesus. I pray that if there's someone in here that doesn't know you, that you would save them today. Uh, And then I pray for my brothers and sisters who are in Christ, that they would be strengthened and encouraged today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. I've alluded to it in in my prayer just now, but the the important issue of Christmas is not that Jesus came. It's not. The important issue of Christmas is why Jesus came. You see, there was absolutely no salvation in the birth of Christ. It's a good thing. It was a promised thing. It was prophesied all the way back at the beginning, but there was no salvation in his birth. The the sinless way he lived its life had to happen. It was important, but his sinless life on its own had no redemptive force. His example, right, as flawless as it was, 
And it was, it was flawless. His example could not rescue us from our sins, right? That, that's the problem with so much of, of what passes as Christianity today is that Jesus was our example or that Jesus was just a good man that we should look to and we should love and be kind like Jesus. Yes and amen, we should do all of those things, but understand, his example is not what saves us from our sins. There was a price that needed to be paid for our sins and only Jesus could do that. There's a great quote I found years ago by John MacArthur. I want to read it to you. This is what he says. Jesus came to earth, of course, to reveal God to mankind. He came to teach truth. He came to fulfill the law. He came to offer his kingdom. He came to show us how to live. He came to reveal God's love. He came to bring peace. He came to heal the sick. He came to minister to the needy. But all those reasons are incidental to his ultimate purpose. He could have done them all without being born as a human. He could have simply appeared like the angel of the Lord often did in the Old Testament and accomplished everything in the above list without literally becoming a man. But he had one more reason for coming. He came to die. He came to die. MacArthur goes on to tell us that this is the Christmas story that we don't tell very often is that those soft baby hands that Mary held in the manger were made so that one day nails would be driven through them. That the sweet baby feet would one day walk up a hill to be nailed to a cross. That baby's head was formed so that one day a crown of thorns would be forced upon it. That baby's body would one day be ripped open by a spear. And I know... You're like, man, way to put a damper on it, Byron. Golly, you know, I wanted Jesus meek and piled with his, you know, eight pounds golden fleece diaper lying in a manger. I want Jesus, no crying he makes. You know, that, that's, that's the Jesus I want. But we got to understand that, 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 that he was born to die for our sins and that that, that message is glorious, beautiful good news. So this morning, just very quickly, I told you I'll be brief. I'm gonna give you five things that Jesus did for us and they're all found right here in the book of Hebrews. Now, remember Hebrews was written by, I don't know, nobody really knows. Some people say Paul. Some people say uh, another one of the uh, apostles. Nobody really knows who wrote it. But, but the main point of the book of Hebrews, actually, by the way, a lot of people think that Hebrews was like an ancient sermon. And so if you were to start reading it, you would start from the beginning, go to the end, it'd take you about 45 minutes. And so a lot of people are like, hey, the average sermon ought to be about 45 minutes. So it's biblical. I'm just telling you. Yeah, there you go. But uh, the point of Hebrews is, is trying to show us that, hey, all those things in the Old Testament were just shadows pointing to the substance. And so Jesus was the better sacrificial lamb. Jesus was the true and better temple. Jesus was better. All those things, all those signs were pointing to Jesus. All right? And so in Hebrews chapter 2, what we just read, verses 9 through 18, it shows us five things. First off, it shows us that Jesus became a substitute for us. Look at verse 9. It says, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So it says, The one who created the angels in his incarnation, made himself lower than them. So get your mind around it. The one who made the angel says, hey, I'm gonna lower myself and become lower than the things that I created. 
And the reason he did it was as the verse tells us, so that he could taste death for everyone. That word everyone in the Greek means everyone. He was our substitute. When he was nailed on the cross, he died for you. He died for me. He died for everyone. He received God's wrath for our sins. In fact, if you go down there to the bottom, it, it, it says uh, in, uh, in verse uh, 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 17 that he made propitiation for the people of God. That's an old-fashioned word, but it just means to turn away God's wrath, that he turned God's wrath from us. See, if you and I suffered an eternity in hell, it would never pay for our sins. It would never be enough. Jesus gathered up an eternity of punishment, paid it all, and then he walked away from the grave as a risen savior. He was our substitute. He took our place. We have incurred a great debt, a debt that is too great for us to pay, and Jesus said, I'll pay that debt, and he did. And here's the most uh, mind-boggling thing to me is that he didn't come because we asked or deserved his intervention. There's not one of us apart from the grace of God that asked for him to come. He did it because he loves us and because of the grace of God. He chose to die for us. No one could take Jesus' life from him, right? Mariah read it this morning in John 10, 17 through 18. Jesus said, for this reason... The Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So Jesus voluntarily gave his life. No one took it from him. That is overwhelming love for you and I. So, so Jesus came to die. He came to be our substitute. But the second thing is this, is that he pioneered our salvation. Look at verse 10. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So, so that word founder right there, it means pioneer. It means trailblazer. It refers for someone uh, to follow or it refers to something that others follow. So it, it could refer to somebody who uh, founded a city. Uh, a person who came in and said, hey, I'm going to start a city here and I'm going to name it after me. It could be named after the leader of a pioneer expedition. Um, I spoke about this to some kids recently and I told them, think of Lewis or Clark, you know, that, that led that, that great expedition. It could be referring to somebody like that. In other words, this isn't somebody who just kind of stands at the back and issues orders. This isn't the foreman who just leans on the shovel and doesn't do anything, but this is the guy who actually steps out and says, hey, everybody get on, let's go follow me. I'm going to lead the way. So what it's telling us that God is the founder of salvation is that he is the initiator of salvation. There is absolutely no way to get to God apart from Jesus. You cannot do it. Jesus himself said in John 14, six, I am the way, the truth, and the life no one comes to the Father but through me. The exact same word is used in Hebrews 5, 8 through 9. That although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect. He became the source, the founder, the pioneer, the trailblazer, whatever words you want to use there, of eternal salvation to all who believe. So Jesus could not bring people to God with unpunished sin. So he paid the price. 
And his sufferings made him the perfect leader. His death opened up the path and blazed the trail so that he could bring many sons to glory. So those of us who realized our need for a savior and put our faith and trust in Jesus were saved because of what he did for us on the cross. So Jesus came to die. He came uh, to be our substitute. He came to, to, uh, to, to blaze a trail for our salvation. But then the third thing he did is that he sanctified his people. Look at verse 11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. So the word sanctify, it just means to set apart. It means to make holy. That means Jesus Christ is holy. And because he's holy, he's capable of making us holy. See, the greatest theological dilemma of all time was resolved at the cross. It was how a holy God could communicate grace and mercy to sinful people. Sin, as we've said, demands death. Yet God's loving kindness and his mercy are never ending. So if God simply just accepted you and I as we were, all right? If he were just to say, hey, your sin's not that big a deal. Uh, I'm holy, I'm perfect, but you know, it's cool. I'll let it slide. If he just accepts us as we are and just ignores our sin, then suddenly God's holiness is tainted, is it not? God is no longer perfect. God is not set apart. God is not other. God is like us. And then we've created a God that looks just like us, and that is no God at all. And see, Christ resolved this issue by taking our punishment on himself. I believe it was Martin Luther that said at the cross, justice and mercy kiss. That on our cross, Jesus paid for our sins. God's wrath was satisfied towards you and I. And because he did that, he can now deal with us as if we are sinless that he's declared as holy, that now when the Father looks at us, he sees Jesus, he does not see us. Now listen, that doesn't mean that we still don't sin. What it does mean is that Christ is transforming our desires and our actions, that Christ, that, that God is making us, he's making us more like Jesus. And this is something that I've always got to push on just a little bit, especially where we live is that if you call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, but yet there is no desire to be like Christ. Like if there's nothing inside of you that says, I wanna be more like Jesus. If there's nothing inside of you that says, I wanna see him. We talked about this all through Revelation. If there's no desire in you to see him return, if there's no change in how you are living, then listen, there is a good chance that you don't know Jesus. If you're still the same immature believer you were 15 years ago, you may not know Jesus. If you think being a Christian means that, hey, I walked an aisle, I shook the preacher's hand, I got to get out of hell free card, and now I don't have to live any different, that I can still continue to live foolish and selfishly, and I can continue to live like the world all around me, and that God is just cool with my lifestyle and my good old boy attitude, you may not know Jesus. He did not take our punishment so we could continue to act like a fool. He took it so that we could be conformed to the image of his son. I am not saying you're perfect. Don't walk out of here and be like, oh, Byron said I gotta be perfect. No, I'm saying though that there is a desire in your heart to be more like Jesus, to look more like him tomorrow than you did today. That's what I'm getting at. 
But then I think some of us in this room need to get this point too because you still struggle to see, man, how could God love somebody like me? I mean, golly, I can't get it right. I desire to be more like him, but I keep sitting, I keep screwing up, I keep falling down. And I just don't know how God could love me. Well, what does verse 11 say? Verse 11 says he is not ashamed to call us brothers. It's the 21st century, or sisters, all right, all right, feminists, don't get mad at me. He's not afraid to, to call us brothers or sisters. It means he loves you and he accepts you because of what Jesus has done for you. I heard a pastor say something this week that I thought was just brilliant. A guy named Derwin Gray was talking about how too many Christians have a Santa Claus theology. Right, how's the song goes? Right, he sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, he knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. And I, I think that that, 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 that has creeped into our, our lifestyle, has it not in the church? I mean, we teach it to our kids, if you think about it. It's like, hey man, Santa's watching, you better be good, you're gonna get cold. If you don't, you're gonna get cold. Now, if you're good, Santa's gonna give you what you want. And I think so many of us as believers, we approach Jesus that way, don't we? Well, I got up this morning, I had my devotion, I prayed for 45 minutes, I didn't yell at my husband, uh, we, we didn't scream at each other because we were late getting to church this morning, everything's cool. And so because I did all that, God's pleased with me today, and so more than likely, God's gonna give me what I want. It's been about three days, I didn't have my devotion, I struggled in my prayer life a little bit. Uh, it's not been easy with my attitude lately, and so because of that, now God's mad at me because the Holy Spirit's like my elf on the shelf and he saw that I did something wrong. So he went, hey Jesus, did you see what this guy did? And so now God's not gonna give me what I want. Tell me we don't live that way. Tell me in about a week, you're all, all of you, you've already started going, I'm gonna read through the whole Bible this year. <laughs> and you're gonna do great till you get to Leviticus. And you're going to be like, man, what is going on here? And then you're going to give up about March. And then that Santa Claus theology is going to creep right back in, isn't it? Man, I couldn't make it all the way through. So now he's going, well, he's been naughty. And so now he's not going to take care of me. He doesn't love me anymore. He's upset at me. And listen, brothers and sisters, that theology is nothing but a theology of frustration and weariness. Let me just tell you something that will help you out a whole lot. There isn't one of you on the nice list. including the guy up here yelling at you right now. We're all on the naughty list. Jesus is the only one that was on the nice list. He was the only one on the good list. And it says that because he was born to die and to substitute himself for you, that he is now sanctifying you, he's making you more like the Father, and that he loves you, and that he accepts you, and that there is no theology of, well, I messed up today, well, he doesn't love me anymore. No, he loves you. And so if you're a Christian, you need to believe that. And hear me, that'll change everything for you in 2022. Because then you won't be so frustrated anymore. So whenever you miss that devotional, instead of going, well, God's mad at me, instead you'll go, no, Jesus, hey, I love you, forgive me, I'm gonna get back at it tomorrow. Right, when you kick the cat or yell at your husband or whatever it is that, that you're struggling with, instead of just falling down and going, ah, oh, he's mad at me, go, no, Jesus, hey, you saw how I acted, forgive me, and he says, yeah, I do, now get back up, let's keep going. That'll change everything for you when you remember what he did for you, all right? Fourth one, he conquered Satan. Look at verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. One of the greatest reasons for the incarnation was so that Christ could deliver a death blow to Satan. 
We talked about this at length in the book of Revelation. We are not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. It's over. Jesus is one. He defeated Satan. He disarmed the authorities and the principalities and the evil and the rulers of this air when he died on the cross and when he exploded out of the grave. It's over. It's finished. It is done. Satan's greatest power is death. The wages of sin is what? Death. Who collects those wages? It ain't Jesus. It's Satan. Satan is the one who collects the wages of sin. So if he can keep a person living in sin until death, he's got that person forever. So someone had to conquer death to destroy Satan's weapon. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He exploded out of the grave and now he looks and he says, oh death, where's your victory? Oh death, where's your sting? That means that no matter what we go through in this life, the least of our problems is death. Right, what did Paul say? To live is Christ, man. Right, you wanna persecute you, me? You wanna torment me? Whatever, I'm just gonna keep living for Jesus. Well fine, Paul will kill you. It's cool, man, to die is gain. I know where I'm going, I'm out. He defeated death. He conquered Satan. And then finally, number five, he became our high priest. Look at verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's one of the most amazing passages in the Bible. If you don't have it underlined, you should. It's telling us that in order to be a sympathetic high priest, our Savior had to be a man. He had to be made like us. So a priest is a mediator between God and man. That's the the go-between, the stand-in. So a high priest would have to understand, to some degree, the mind of God and the mind of man. So the perfect high priest would be somebody who is both God and man. And then that's exactly who Jesus is, the perfect mediator. So think about it. Jesus was hungry. He was thirsty. He grew tired. He slept. He loved. He was astonished. He marveled. He was glad. He grieved. He became angry. He was troubled. He read the scripture. He prayed all night. He wept. He was one of us in every sense. He's the perfect sympathizer. But at the same time, he's God the perfect high priest. So what I need you to do is look beyond just the typical manger scene of Jesus in his golden fleece diaper. Look beyond what you can see and see what Jesus himself knew before he came was that he was born to die. And like I told you, this is good news, not just for Christmas, but year round. For year round, this is why we preach this message every week. We preach the gospel every week. Folks, there's so much garbage out there right now telling us what's gonna save this world or what's gonna fix the problems in this world. So much of it sounds good, so much of it even sounds Christian. So much is even being pushed by Christians. But at the end of the day, listen, the only hope for our world is the gospel. The only hope for this world is Jesus Christ reconciling men and women to himself and changing their hearts and changing their desires and then creating a people that come together and they love one another for Jesus' sake. That's it. So so we can continue down this woke social justice agenda and all these things that we see happening all we want. It won't save the world. Only Jesus can. And that's the reason he came. He died for you. He took your sin. He purchased your salvation. He guaranteed your sanctification. He destroyed our enemy, Satan, and he became our sympathetic high priest. 
The fifth century liturgy of St. James says this. It says, let all mortal flesh keep silence and with fear and trembling stand, set your minds on things eternal for with blessing in his hand, Christ our God came to earth, descended, come our homage to command. King of kings, yet born of Mary, once upon the earth he stood. Lord of lords, we now perceive him in the body and the blood. He has given to all the faithful his own self for heavenly food. So if you would, please bow your head and close your eyes. I'm gonna ask my deacons if they would come forward. Um, And this morning we're gonna observe, uh, observe the Lord's Supper. I think it's only fitting that we do that now to remember what Jesus has done for us. And so a few things this morning as, as the deacons come down is that I want to remind you, as I do every week, uh, that